did you make a note of uh, of the records you just played then? Um, I can remember that. I've got them in order. Okay. Wow, that was so good. I've got Gerald. Gerald is here. I don't really want to share Gerald with you. <laughs> Tough luck. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> no, because it's almost like I'm giving away my um, one of my key sources <laughs> for music. I know that you've been, apart from putting doing a absolutely um, tremendous record label over the years, um, you've also um, been. You know, you, you deal still. You still deal in, in old music, right? Kind of, yeah. It's take, kind of taken a back seat, really, because you know there's not enough hours in the day to do reissuing the old stuff and selling the old stuff too. And there's so many sources now. I think just you know individuals selling records. You know, I can let some other people into the game too. You know. Is that how you started? Was it like how did you start? Because you're from Middlesbrough, right? Yeah. And. <laughs> uh, there's no records up there. A hotbed of scene. Was it? I mean, was was it? Were you a clubber before you got into music? What was the sort of your intro? Because I mean, basically, for, for when I'm getting stuff, when I go to your store, or not, it's not a store. When I go to see you, I can be assured that you're going to have amazing modal jazz and spiritual jazz, but also you've got some amazing funk and soul and sort of that kind of rare groovy area. Was it more that that you came through on? Did you get to the jazz? Um, they were side by side. This was in the 80s when I was getting into music and I think literally the jazz scene was and the jazz dance scene was uh, starting at the end of the 80s just as the rare groove scene was appearing at the same time um, with uh, Norman Jay and finger, uh, Shaking Finger Pop and all the rest of it and I saw them both as much as the same thing back American music mm. from you know the olden days <clears throat> and I wasn't really aware that they were two completely separate scenes and uh, they kind of mixed together a little bit, but um, I just liked it all. And you know, even even now, I don't really try and categorise that much as a, a, a wide variety of music I like, not just the jazz side and the soul and funk side. There's all kinds of stuff that I like as well, from mostly from the past. I just haven't. But the trouble is, is there's not enough time to get into everything. I, I actually remember making conscious decisions when I was about 18 or 19. I just can't get into everything. You know, everything from reggae to psych to um, jazz, you, you can't do everything. And I specifically made a conscious decision to go down the route of finding out and learning about the jazz side of things and um, the funk side of things. And uh, still doing it 20 years on. <laughs> there's so much. There's so much record. So many records out there. So much music out there. That's what you were saying earlier on. Because I was looking at uh, a Freddie Roach record, and uh, it's the one with voices. Uh, things come good or something. What's it called? Oh, the, uh, the choral one, yeah. All yeah. that's good. All that's good. I was looking at that album and and uh, saying there's a really good track on it, Cloud 788, and then you said that our ears have changed, because when this would have come up a few years ago, yeah. you'd have gone organs not, with choirs. That's right. You, you know, it does, your taste does change. You can listen to a record, say, 20 years ago, and you like one particular track and you think it's brilliant listen to the same thing now and you think that track's brilliant and a different track is really good and you think how the hell did I miss that all those years ago and, the, and your ear does develop over time as it gets used to listening to things and, you, and your mind either contracts or it expands and you, you listen to different stuff in a different way and so even records that you've had uh, a long time you can listen to with a completely different attitude and enjoy different songs in it that you might have done in the past 
and the opposite is true as well. Stuff you may have loved, you think is a load of rubbish now. You think, what the hell am I doing with that? <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes records sound really good one day, and then you play them again to your friends yeah. a few days later, and they sound crap. Yeah, it's, yeah, <laughs> that's right. They, they they can point things out to you that you, you missed, and uh, you know your state of mind changes. Yeah. So yes, that's yeah, that's another beauty of them. You know, they they this. They, they, even the same thing can sound different. Yeah. The record label's been going for how long now? Since '98. '98. So, yeah. Okay. And uh, so, did you? Were you? Because um, when you had your your warehouse in Camden, that was yeah. the very beginnings of the record label, was it? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, we were just doing secondhand records then, and um, the, it got to a point in the late '90s when the records really started to become harder to find in America and they started to become more expensive and it was the start of the internet revolution where people could sell things online and um, it just basically dawned on me that you know these records they're not getting easy to find more and more people want them something you know that's it, it's a crying shame that a lot of these records are only going to be heard by the collectors who are rich enough to afford to buy them or dedicated enough to seek them out, there's got to be a, a, a way, you know, a wider audience that would appreciate this music because you know this music's just phenomenal. It just deserves to be have, have wider recognition. And the major record labels, they weren't really doing too much, you know, they weren't really doing much digging, so to speak. And it was very very risky for them to uh, put resources into doing that. So, um, so I had that record by Kathleen Emery, which. Uh, I don't. I don't think anyone else really had at the time, and um, I thought this is just daft, just me having this. And I didn't really want to bootleg it or anything, so that uh, on, on a white label. So um, we pressed up 500 copies, and they flew out, and that was the start. I thought, and the only reason we did it on seven as well, I thought, was because it was cheap. I didn't want to spend loads of money doing an album mm. or a CD, and I, I couldn't believe it that you know they all they all uh, sold so fast. So I thought, let's let's, <laughs> let's, do, let's do another one. We just moved on, and here we are. I think it's 70 singles odd now that we've done in that time. Plus, obviously, we moved on to albums and CDs too. And it's you know, it's all about it's all about getting the uh, the rarities out there, the stuff that should be heard by people. Okay, let's go with some music.
is a really uh, terrific album which came out on Jazzman. Was it last year, the spiritual jazz one? Yeah, it was last summer, yeah, we did this. I think. Great sleeve, brilliant track listing, uh, nothing too obvious on there. This is where I discovered uh, more Tyam as well, who um, is the father of. Akon. That's right. Deep one. <laughs> <laughs> and we played um, Ayo Ayo and then there. Are you actually going to be playing, putting out the album as well? Well, we've been, I've been in contact with his manager for quite a while. He's hard to get hold of because he, uh, he's between America and Senegal a lot. And um, it's one of those tread carefully things. So sooner or later, yes, sooner or later we'll have a meeting and, and sort it out. And uh, it's the thing is with reissuing a lot of these records, it takes ages and ages to, to get the deal sorted and finalised because, you know, they have to be aware of what exactly you're trying to achieve and mm. and then there's the money side of things and mm. uh, it's 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 difficult sometimes it's not a straightforward easy to negotiate deal where you just click your fingers and it's all done and that's why some of these things are just ages and ages to work out especially with them being uh, you know most most of the people out of the country it's it's hard hard work and, you know, especially yeah, when they're, they're hard to contact like that but we'll get it we'll get it sorted sooner or later I hope I mean you must have so many stories of meeting these people that we've revered as collectors and then you meet these guys like Ricardo Moreira or James Spaulding and Nathan Davis yeah and uh, they've always got a good story haven't they they've yeah, had a good life yeah. these interesting lives yeah, absolutely. You, you know, and it comes out in the music. I mean, uh, the very fact that uh, a lot of the records that we put out have been privately pressed just goes to show a lot about the personalities behind the people that made the records. A lot of them just didn't care to uh, be uh, widely recognised or to have a, a major label record deal. They were happy doing their own thing. And um, some of them were quite the opposite. They really, really wanted to get, uh, you know, be famous or, or whatever have you, or become really successful. So they put their own record out and hoped that they'd get some recognition. And, it, you know, it failed for, for whatever reason. So, but all of them got one thing in common, and that is, you know, they, they were uh, determined to actually get their music out there heard, even without the backing of a major label. So, you know, they put their money on the line and, uh, Put everything they had into making these privately pressed independent records. Nathan Davis is no exception. You know, he, he was offered, and James Spaulding for that matter. You know, they were both offered deals by Blue Note, but uh, turned it down because they didn't want to compromise their artistic integrity and they wanted to make their own music how they wanted to make it, release it how they wanted it to be done, and um, and that's why they're not household names. Otherwise, they could well have been. You know, like a lot of the other guys on Blue Note. Um, and the same goes for a lot of the uh, musicians on the Spiritual Jazz album as well. They, uh, a lot of them were privately pressed self-released records and they did it because uh, that's they, you know, they had the inner urge and that's what they believed and that's what they wanted to do and um, they couldn't convince a major label to do it or didn't have the wherewithal to be able to facilitate that. And you know, like it is with anyone today, it's hard to get a proper record deal. So they just did it themselves distributed it locally, sold it out of the back of the car. But at least, you know, they at least they recorded, you know, they created that art and they actually yeah. got it out there, and yeah. it, even if it wasn't small numbers. But it's it doesn't mean to say it's no good, just because it's, you know, it wasn't successful. Yeah. Far from it. Some of that music's amazing. I mean, you started off um, this little thing that we're doing here with four seven inches in a row, kicked off with a track by Michel Manier, which is a track, a seven inch, that I once owned. 
but you lost it. I lost it. It's one of those records that maybe I'll find it when I clear this place out at one stage. Maybe it's it sort of fell through the floorboards. I think there's some music underneath the floorboards upstairs actually, but it's a little seven inch, but it's really nice to see that again. Michel Magne, Le Monocle, Le Monocle, Rijon, um, from the film, some great films. Georges Lutny, that's great. I might just hide it. Um, <laughs> And then it was the James Spaulding, terrific sleeve. Do you kind of, going through seven inches, it, it takes an extra amount of, um, of patience and, and, and fingernail. Yeah, you could say that again, because there's so many of them, there's millions of them, and uh, not all of them are good, obviously. A lot of them are rubbish. And um, there's so, so many millions and millions of, of sevens. For every album, there's a thousand sevens. And uh, it's, yeah, it's hard work looking through them. I mean, I, to be honest, I'm, you know, um, <clears throat> I'm not the world's greatest digger. I, I often let other people do that work and I'll just pay them the money to do it for, for the record <laughs> that they find. But it's so time consuming. And, uh, yeah. you know, I, I, I've got a lot of respect for people who dig through a thousand sevens, or sorry, thousand, that's not really very many, a hundred thousand sevens, say, and uh, pull out the two or three beauties in there. Because it's it's hard work and it's really draining listening to millions and millions of sevens one after the other trying to find something good. And um, but yeah. when when a record that looks as good as James Spaulding with a title like Yuhuru Sasa and a label called East with red, black, and green label, yeah, it doesn't get much better. You're going to spot that, aren't you? Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> true. It's a bit of a no-brainer that one. That's a good one. Um, Okay, and then after that you played uh, one of those on, on Philip Coran's record label, another little seven-inch, right? That's right, it's the Spencer Jackson family. Um, I think they're more of a gospel group out of Chicago, and they've done a couple of albums, uh, a couple of sevens. This one's on Zulu, uh, Phil Coran's label. And um, I haven't done too much research into them, I'm sure some people have somewhere or other, but uh, yeah, that's that heavy Afrocentric deep jazz stuff that they were doing in the late 60s, early 70s. That, you know that's you know it's so incredibly intense that type of music. That's exactly what I like. It. Brilliant, love it. And you picked that up in Disc Union in Japan. I did, yeah. And they didn't realise it was worth like. Well, it was, it was you know it was a few quid, but it I I, I was surprised to see it because it's you know it's a rare record. I've never seen it before, and it was just there in the racks. So those sort of things usually change hands privately, you know, off the scene, so to speak. But to see it see it there, sat in the record shop, albeit amongst millions of other brilliant records as well, it's surprising. I was like, hand it over. <laughs> That's coming home with me. Hand it over in Japanese. Yeah. And uh, the final seven inch of the first little yeah, selection. After that, we heard um, Luke by the Light Men, which is on Judnal out of Texas. And uh, again, he's, uh, I think that was Bubba Thomas's label in his band. And he's another one of those guys, fiercely independent, made his own music, put his own records out. And um, I think Stone's Throw or now again I'm going to do a retrospective of him. I think they're working on it and uh, so hopefully you know that'll be out soon. But again, he, he's another guy who uh, did made a variety of records, never got any kind of success or proper achievement or, or recognition out of it, but um, he put his own records out there and, and you know, there are a lot of good things as well, a lot of good stuff by him. Okay, we're going to get into some more little nuggets that you've brought with you, starting off with this one, right? Yeah, this is Luis Xavier, and uh, I'm not sure what side you've got on there, but uh, it's a 7-inch from France called Synchro Rhythmic Eclectic Language. Mm -hmm. 
So I'm really enjoying this because it's people say write to me and they go Giles we love it when you do a browser basement because we can just hear all that great stuff we don't like it when you play all that fresh new stuff or hip hop or whatever dubstep we're doing that for but so when I do the browser basements people really like it and this is um, you doing a browser basement for me which I'm loving because you're playing some utter gems it's kind of upsetting me because there's all this music that I know that I'm going to have to at one stage um, invest in or well just but it's great there's just so much there's just so much music I, I always keep thinking we're going to run out but then I come to you or I go somewhere and they play all these records I'm like oh my god all these tracks I can put on compilations <laughs> yeah there's, there's tons there's tons of stuff out there you know uh, it's um, it's all about digging isn't it you know you've got to dig deep or you've got to look far and wide but you know I mean I'm lucky in the sense that this is my job and I can do it seven days a week I've been doing it seven days a week for the last 20 years and uh, you know you build up a certain network of contacts over through the uh, through the throughout the world and when you think of it like that there's people literally in every single country all around the world looking for records and with the internet and everything it just becomes a huge big network of records changing hands and people get to know about things and like we were chatting about earlier every single country's got good music coming out of it in some way shape or form and um, there's been so much stuff for instance recently coming out of Africa and uh, back in the 90s there was loads of stuff coming out of Brazil and there's still stuff you know unknown stuff coming out of the states and every European country there's private pressings that are discovered there's a lot of sevens that people are turning their attentions to now because, you know, they might have dismissed them in the past because they were hard to look through, I suppose, to something like LPs or something. There's, there's, and then there's, you know, then you go into acetates and reel-to-reel tapes, and this goes on forever. <laughs> it, 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 acetates? There is, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, look, for instance, you know, Northern Soul is still digging up acetates that, um, you know, one-offs and uh, things, of, it's, there's only a few copies, and they, they've been digging more intently than anyone for 30, 40 years. There's millions of records, millions of them, because in the past, people made a lot more records than they do now because they didn't have things like the internet or 
DVDs and things to, to and computer games to get involved in. You know, most people um, spent their time, you know, with books and music, and as a result, thousands and thousands of people recorded records. You know, not just um, for the big labels, but small labels too. Yeah, millions of them. You've actually opened the the door to me in a deep way today, just talking about the seven inches, because just seeing some of the seven inches that you're carrying with you, there's some stuff there which I think there's there's much more where that's all coming from, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. Uh, especially ones that fall between the gaps, because in the past, say, rock collectors might have bought the rock or garage sevens, the northern soul collectors bought northern ones, but the ones like you know some of the ones we've been playing. No one's really been looking for those or collecting them quite simply because the category that they fall into isn't really something that people have been looking for in, in the, those collecting genres. So this has been overlooked and missed. <laughs> Tell me what those records were that you played because there was uh, that vocal track, but before that you played something. That was... um, we played something Turkish, which I'll, I'm not going to embarrass myself by trying to pronounce yeah. just a second that ago. That was the last track. Yeah, before that we heard... Um, I don't know where this is from. I know it's American, but it's a band called the Gingerbread Express. What style of music that is, I haven't a clue. It's, it's jazz of some shape or form. It's not soul, it's not funk, it's not rock. So, you know, it, so it's not going to be, it's not going to found itself into the collecting categories of various people, so it just slips between the gaps. Before that, we heard um, a Canadian record by Sandy Shaw. Again, uh, it's you were saying it's half D.G. Wilson, half something else. <laughs> I mean, you know what? What, what do you what do you call? It? Where, does, where do you categorise a record like that? And so they, you know they, they just never really get filed properly, and um, no one pays attention to them, and so they're just out there waiting to be discovered. Let's play something else before we play a little thing, which um, we'll talk about later. Actually, which you're, which you're about to release, which is. Uh, well, actually, we'll get. What is it? The 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 trio track. Um, there's Lloyd Miller. Lloyd Miller. But we're going to play for yeah. a seven inch first, I think. Or should we play Lloyd Miller? No, let's play the seven inch. Um, we haven't got that long to go. I can't believe it. Okay. Um, but I want to hear. An, oh yeah. We'll, that, we'll, we'll we'll cram it in. The seven the seven inches are just amazing. <laughs>
And this is going to be one of the last ever podcasts that we're recording in Brownswood, but maybe not. I mean, I said that before that it was gone and it's not gone yet, but I think it's going to go. And uh, I'm actually looking for somewhere to put all my stuff and start afresh with a new Brownswood type place. But I tell you what, you're finishing it off amazingly well with some great tracks. Gerald, thanks a lot for coming in today. Uh, we haven't really spoken enough about your label, which is the prime reason that you're here, because apart from anything else, uh, you've been putting out some you know, beautifully um, presented records, of whether it's the seven inches or the collections of seven inches that you've done in your series. I mean, you know, if you're a DJ going into sort of playing some sort of slightly more interesting music of sorts, then those CD comps are essential. I mean, I carry them everywhere. Welcome to the party, all that stuff. There's just nugget after nugget. So you just kind of compiled all your seven inches and put them on on CDs, right? Yeah, pretty much so. Um, we when, Once we've got uh, a certain amount together, it's uh, good to put them on a CD so you know people that don't have turntables can listen to them. There are people that don't have turntables, which I, I still don't understand why they haven't got one, but <laughs> some people prefer that format. And um, yes, it means that uh, you know it's spreading the music further, isn't it? I Actually, I remember at the time when I decided to put them on the CD, I had to be talked into it because I was quite against them back in the olden days being a vinyl person. But uh, in, in, ter in terms of getting the music out there, which is the important thing, the artist is, is the person that makes the music. At the end of the day, it's them who wants the music to be heard by as many people as possible. So, yeah, yeah just uh, it, it doesn't really matter about the format as long as it get, get, people get to hear it. Yeah, and the other thing is, I think, I mean, all about. The, the way I look at it is that you get sort of, um, you you're finding yourself as a DJ playing in places and sometimes the CDs sound better than the vinyls because they haven't got a vinyl set up properly so it's nice to have the option basically yeah this is true um, personally I've never DJed a CD I wouldn't have a clue. I don't know how it all works <laughs> so I'm quite happy playing the sevens but, so uh, apart, yeah. apart from the compilations and uh, and I mean you're going to come back in let's do another one right Cause okay yeah play more is, records this has been too good but um, basically for the right now you've got this other series haven't you at the moment where you're just re-releasing original albums like the Ricardo Moreira and uh, yeah it's, it's basically the same thing about as we did with the sevens um we we started off doing the sevens mostly because they were uh, cheap and easy. There wasn't a great deal of risk, and you know there's not a, a great deal of money to play around with it in in this business because you know it's minority music and you're not going to sell a hell of a lot of copies basically. So uh, it was, you know we didn't want to like risk uh, the, the financial catastrophe if you put an album out with all the investment that it takes and it not doing very well. So uh, but now we've got to the stage where we can do that and. Um, they're doing really well, you know. We're, we're choosing what we put out quite carefully to make sure that uh, it, it fits the niche and that uh, it's, it's worthy of release. Because you know, there's a huge choice of albums that you can release, and uh, we're just choosing to do the ones that we think are, um, are, are most worthy, so to speak. Yeah, and uh, the Holy, the Holy Grail series. That's right. Yeah, and um, the the, one, the the albums that people, everyone wants that you can't really get because they're too rare for um, for one reason or another. And uh, we're just. Uh, in the process of getting the John Hartsman album out, yeah, and um, and we've got uh, more on the way as well. George Smallwood will come up next, and um, hopefully the Mortiam one a little while later if we can, you know, pin him down, and you know, so on and so forth. So as long as people keep uh, buying them, then we'll keep putting them out. Gerald, we're going to leave a f finish off of this from uh, Lloyd Miller, mm -hmm. little something he recorded for you. Yeah. Um, it's he was over here a year ago and we took the opportunity while he was here uh he was in the studio we had just a few hours 
literally just threw him in the studio with Malcolm Cato and Jake Ferguson from the Heliocentrics and said, right, try and make some music. I know you've never met each other before, but you're all good musicians. Just get it on and just see what happens. And they came up with some pretty impressive stuff. And uh, this, I think, is one of the standout tracks. And um, no, it works. Uh, Lloyd Miller's is phenomenal. You know, words can't describe the amount of talent he's got. He's, he's like Roy Castle. He can play almost any instrument. Probably play more instruments than him. But he's also phenomenally modest as well, which is why he's never really got any kind of kudos or recognition over the years, despite him being a professional musician for his 70 years. And um, so he, he went in there and uh, he did the business. You know, have a listen. That's too good. That is so, so good. That is uh, Lloyd Miller with um, Heliocentrics and Malcolm Cato drumming along. And uh, is that going to come out? Uh, yeah, I've, it, it, we, we actually recorded it last November, I think. I just haven't got round to doing it. I've been busy doing other things. But well, I'm going to get my act together and stick it on a 12-inch put out. 
early 2010, I hope. Great feeling. Okay, let's. Well, we, we, we've extended a bit, but um, the one of, I mean, apart from doing these great compilations and reissues and selling me amazing records, you also um, do do the odd contemporary thing, uh, like this. Uh, um, this band, Natural Yogurt Band, Natural Yogurt yeah. Band, who popped up a few years ago. I remember going crazy about it, and no one seemed to notice. And then, uh, and then it's just being picked up again by by. Um, uh, now again, now I've, again, I've done it again. That's They've right, just re-released yeah. it now, which is funny, right? <laughs> After all that time. Um, so this is some side project connected um, to it. Yeah, basically, Natural Yogurt Band were a couple of chaps. Um, there's Miles and uh, Wayne and um, they basically make the music together with a lot of overdubs and this is a kind of like a side project of Miles on his own where uh, that he's uh, named the sign of four and it's very much in the same keeping as natural yogurt band and stuff I, I, I just think it's phenomenal I, I, I love it it's one of them well it's so intense and it's, they, you know those guys they're having fun when they make that record and that's what I think is missing out of a lot of music that you can tell they're just having fun and that's what music should be about shouldn't it really well it sounds wicked and uh, this is a new thing from, from you from Jazzman thank you Gerald thank you Giles we're going to do it again right yeah, yeah part two course. bring me some more music I'll bring some more more sevens
Yeah, 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 yeah.